Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good, always. That you have saved us to the uttermost. You've washed away our sins. And you've sanctified us and purified us. And now you call us to walk holy. And we just praise you. We can never praise you enough for the forgiveness of sins, God. And we ask that your presence would come today, that you would be with us, that those who have ears would hear and those who have eyes would see, and our hearts would be open to what you're speaking to us, Lord. We just praise you and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Is this thing kind of sounding weird? Yeah. Yeah. Just my voice in general. Try, try to make my voice sound better, more manly. Oh, update on dad. Uh, I, I think most of you got, or not most of you, but uh, a lot of you got the text for the prayer request. So that's, that's about where he's at. He had about four grand mall seizures uh, yesterday, which are the bad kind, not good. Um, so then he spent the night at the hospital here. Um, that's about that. Not else, much else to update. Yes, they stopped it. Yeah, yeah. They all happen in succession of each other pretty quickly. And then and then they stopped. So there was a bunch of people there late last night hanging out with him. So I just heard um a couple stories recently uh that I that I wanted to share first. Um I'm going to be talking about rewards today, rewards in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, this is such a huge biblical theme. So good thing to look at. And I don't hear it taught on a lot, so I'm going to teach on that today. Uh, But so um, this just happened, it was about a week and a half ago. There was uh, a church in, um, in Egypt. So, I mean, we have to open our eyes to the persecuted church. And, and what's going on. Like, I get that this is tough for us, like my dad being sick and many others in the church being sick and things. And I'm okay with grieving and the pain, but it often baffles me when people struggle or question God in the midst of these momentary things. And if we would open our eyes and look at the persecuted church worldwide, it just gets your perspective in the right place. And it gets our perspective on heaven, that this is temporary, it's momentary, it's bliss, it's just, it's just a moment, and it's over. So, uh, yeah, a church in Egypt, this was a week and a half ago, um, terrorists came in, and blew up, I don't know, 15, 16 people. Just came in and, and set off a bomb and blew them up. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys can even 
begin to grasp or imagine something like that with children. Uh, just if that were to happen here, I mean, we can't even fathom what it would be like. But I want us to imagine it. I want us to open our eyes to the persecuted church and what's going on worldwide. Um, I just heard a recent study that in the past... Shoot, I want to get it right, but I'll probably get it wrong. I think it was like in the past 10 years, something along the lines of 90... Was it million or 900,000? I can't remember. But it was Christians that were, uh, it's a big difference, obviously. It was Christians that have been uh, martyred worldwide. I mean, the numbers are just staggering, huge. So this church, within, within about five days of this tragedy, they got on, on the news there and addressed their persecutors addressed, you know, the ISIS is, is who was responsible for it. They addressed ISIS as a whole. And the pastor began with thanking them, thanking them, thanking them, thanking them for, for letting them live out what their Savior lived out, for letting them experience the persecution that was promised them and the persecution that draws them closer to the Lord. He thanked them for sending their brothers and sisters to heaven quicker. And he said, we're envious of them that they got to go quicker. We're grieved, we're hurting. And then they addressed them and said, we forgive you. We forgive every one of you. We hold nothing against you and we long for your salvation. We long for you to know a God who loves you. I mean, he just went on and on and the whole thing was intermixed with words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount that fit in so perfectly because this is what he taught us. And I just thought, this is the true gospel. When persecution comes, the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be put to the test and we're supposed to come out shining we're supposed to come out glorifying God all the more. Uh, and then the, the other story that I heard, um, this was from somebody who, who heard it from the guy firsthand. And, you know, I'm obviously paraphrasing. I don't remember it word for word. So, uh, so forgive me if you look up the story and it's just, a, you know, something a little off or something. Because uh, <laughs> I only listened to it once. But uh, there was a guy, uh, a Jewish man, uh, during the Holocaust, and him and his wife escaped, but his wife's uh, town, everybody was pretty much killed there. And her whole family, her whole family line, everybody was killed there. But him and his wife escaped. And uh, he, it was a couple years after the war or something. I can't remember exactly how long it was after the war. It wasn't long after the war. And um, they just kind of lived a quiet life in their house. But he would, uh, he became really good at the piano and so he would invite people over uh, to, to listen to him play the piano. It was like free entertainment. You know, it was kind of a big deal. He was really good. And so he'd invite people over, and then the, the deal was when they came over, they had to listen to him preach the gospel. He was a Jewish believer in Jesus that believes that Jesus was the Messiah that came for them. You guys all know that, right? Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> so... Those strange Christians that have issues with the Jews. I'm like, you know, Jewish Messiah is coming back, right? <laughs> uh, 
But anyways, so he invited a man one night. They got to talking, and, and he invited him, and he came, and, then, and, and his wife happened to be sick that day. The, the, the Jewish guy's wife was sick in bed, just not feeling well, not like dying or anything, but not feeling well. And so he invited this guy over, and, and he played music for him and stuff, and it was beautiful, kind of opened the guy's heart up a little bit. And then they, they just got to talking a little while, and he had no idea the guy was Jewish. And this was a former uh, Nazi, a former soldier, and he was an officer. And as they just got to talking more, he started, like, boasting about his accolades. That's the word, right? Started boasting about, like, some of the things he'd done in the war. And, um, and then he happened to tell him about how he led the charge into a town and ordered the execution of every Jew there. And that town was the exact town where the guy's wife lived. So this guy was responsible for murdering his whole wife's family, everyone there. And the man just looked at him and just told him. He said, uh, I'm Jewish, my wife is Jewish, and you murdered her whole family. That's where, that's where they lived. We barely escaped there. And uh, this officer just began weeping. He just begins weeping, and then the man led him to Jesus right there on the spot, cried out for repentance or cried out for forgiveness of sins, led him to Jesus, and then he's, after they wept for a while, he said, you need to come and meet my wife. And he said, I'm, I can't meet her. I, I mean, the shame was overwhelming. He said, there's no way I can meet her. And he said, oh, you're meeting her. So he took her back, <laughs> and he introduces him like this. Honey, this is the man... This is the officer who is responsible for ordering the execution of your entire family. But now he is our brother in Christ. And she got up out of bed and held him, and they both wept together, and she forgave him. This, this is the gospel. This is the real deal. This is why it just it baffles me when something like this happens to dad or sickness strikes here or there or something and, and people are just like, oh, does God love us and things? It's like, you're supposed to shine in the midst of tribulations. We glory in trials. That's what Paul taught us. We glory in tribulation. When Jesus in uh, uh, John 17 goes on and on about you're going to be persecuted, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulation, I'm telling you this so you can be full of joy. Because I've overcome the world. Saying trials, tribulation, these things are supposed to bring us joy because he overcame the world. And my hope is in Jesus, not in healing. I cry out for healing for many. I yearn for it, I long for it. But, but that's not where our eyes are fixed on. Our eyes are fixed on heaven and on the forgiveness of sins. On the forgiveness of sins. That's what it's like. These trials and things that we go through as believers, we go through it with the forgiveness of sins, with the, with the washing away of our guilt. That is the biggest problem for mankind. Above everything, the biggest trial, the biggest uh, uh, Evil, the, the worst thing possible is our sinful, stained nature that has zero chance of standing before a holy God. And he took care of it if we put our hope in him. 
This is to cause rejoicing the rest of our lives. And that's what our eyes are fixed on. That's what dad's taught us so many times. Our eyes are fixed on the cross and on heaven, right? On cross and the future. So I want to talk about receiving rewards in the kingdom. This is a subject that is over and over in the Bible. So first, I just want to set the ground of the foundation of salvation. You guys have heard it many times. I, I think I tell the youth this every week or every other week at least, right, Carrie? Just talk a little bit about salvation. I just talk a little bit about the foundation of salvation, how you're actually saved. Because I want to set that and leave that to the side as we come and address rewards because they don't have a correlation, okay? Sometimes because people are so unsure of their salvation and so just like, oh, does God love me? And is, is everything, like, am I doing everything right? Did I fall out of salvation just now? Did, did I, did, you know, am I going to go to hell because I gossiped? Or, so, like, people can just be so fickle in salvation and not understand what it is that they steer away from even addressing or talking about rewards, even though it's a huge part of the kingdom of heaven, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. And I'm going to show you all that through scripture. <clears throat> we are saved by grace through faith. This is not a work of your own so that nobody can boast. Nobody should be able to boast in their salvation. It only comes through humility and belief. That's it. We humble ourselves and recognize that we're sinners and we need God to forgive us. And then only by his blood are we atoned for. Only by his blood are our sins washed away. Nobody will stand before him and say, I belong in heaven because I did this, 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 and this. Nobody will stand before him and be able to say that because his morality and his perfection all have sinned and fallen short of it by a long shot. We've all come very short of it. And it would be like a rapist standing before a judge and saying, yes, I know I did that. It was one time, and I'm sorry for it, but I did this, 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 and this in my life. Since then, I've turned my life around. I've blessed other people. Would that fly in any court of law? No, why? Because the judge would say, we're not addressing any of those things. That's wonderful you've done those things. That's nice. That's neat. I'm addressing this issue, and there must be justice for this issue, right? God is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy and grace, and his mercy and grace triumph over judgment, but he is a God of justice, and justice has to be served. Otherwise, he'd be an unfair God. Otherwise, he'd be unjust, he wouldn't be a good God if there wasn't justice and payment for our sins. And this is why nobody, we, we can't make up for our sins. They have to be atoned for. They have to be washed away. Somebody has to pay for them. And that's why Jesus came and paid the full price for our sins. He was perfect in every way. He was the only one who could atone for our sins. Even uh, uh, I believe it was Paul saying that none, none of the, the blood of, of lambs and, and, and the blood of goats and the, the blood of the sacrifices, they don't atone for sins. They were pointing to something. It was, and in fact, he says re- retroactively, because Christ was 
God viewed it as Christ was um, crucified from the foundation of the earth. The, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. So all of the people in the Old Testament who repented and brought blood sacrifices, it was only by the blood of Jesus retroactively because he's, God's outside of time and space. It's the blood of Jesus that was applied to them. And all of those things were pointing to the sacrifice that would come. And it gave us a vivid picture of how evil sin is and how it has to be atoned for with innocent blood. Well, innocent blood or the blood of the guilty, right? So none of us are saved by our own works. Now, this is what Jesus taught. We're born again. We're born of the Spirit. We become a new creation. But you're, you're saved perfectly by his blood. But there is a proof of your salvation now because his grace doesn't come, right? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. What is one of the ways that he fulfilled them? Well, then he goes on to share all these laws of the Old Testament. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said this, I tell you this. You've heard it said this. So this is right before that. He says, I didn't come to abolish law. I came to fulfill it. Then he shows us how do you fulfill it. He took the moral laws to a greater height. He took them to a greater place and he said, it's nice if you want to obey the commands, but I'm saying you have to obey it for the right reasons. And if not, you're under judgment. Like he actually looks into the motives and says, your motives actually have to be right. You can keep, keep a list of rules and it profits you nothing unless your motives are correct. And then he gives us grace that empowers us to uphold the law. So before, we, we, we didn't have that ability, but his spirit comes in us, and now we're saved completely by his blood. That's salvation. That's the base level. And then his grace is to empower us to walk out the law. So if you struggle with sins, if you, if you mess up here and there, that doesn't make you fall out of salvation. You don't flip-flop out of salvation. I, I always give the example, it's like my children in my house, right? We're called the children of God. We're part of his kingdom now, right? We're part of his household. If my kids mess up, I don't throw them out of the house and say, you no longer belong to me. No, they're still my children. You're still the children of God. And I love that, our kids start as little and then they grow up and as they grow up, they're more responsible for their actions. And isn't there a point when a kid is older, you know, I don't know what point that's going to be for everybody, 18 or something, but if they were still wanting to live in the house, that, that's fine with me. But if they were actively disobedient to the rules of the house, in, in outright rebellion, doing something completely against what I've asked and I've worked with them and tried to reason with them, and that's what a good father is supposed to do. Work with them, try to reason with them, talk to them, make sure they know I absolutely love you, but this is not okay. There would come a point where I could ask them to leave the house or where they could choose to leave the house, right? So for some of us, we're mature Christians, we're at that state where we, we choose to follow God no matter what because we've matured 
And some of us, this is why we don't, we don't judge others in the faith. You can judge an action as right or wrong, but judging their salvation is not our job because some are little children and some have matured more. And that's okay. That's okay that, that that's there and we still need to recognize and love others in the church. So what are the specific things that can take you out of salvation? Practicing sin. Right? This is clear in 1 John. This is clear in, in Matthew uh, 7, verse 22 through 25, where many will come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this and this and this? Right? They were all relying upon their own accolades, their own works, their own, like, I did all this, therefore I should be in heaven. What do you tell them? A way, I, I would tell them plainly, uh, I never knew you. By the way, that, that didn't mean he never that they were never saved. That was in the culture at the time. That was a very common thing uh, that a Jewish person could say to a member of a family who had done something so grievous and unrepentant that they could say to them publicly, I never knew you. Okay, that, that's what that scripture is referring to. Everybody hearing it would have known, oh, okay, he's saying, I've, I'm disowning you. So these were people who could have known God. Some probably didn't. These are people who could have known God and he's saying, I never knew you. Depart from me, what? You who practice lawlessness. They made it a practice. That's why I said, if you struggle with sins, that's okay. Where's your heart at? Are you recognizing in humility, those are sins. God, please forgive me. Help me. Or sometimes we're blind to those sins, and then he shows us at a time, right? And then we have to come to grips with it. But that's, we repent of those things. We recognize their sin. But when there comes a point where a sin becomes a habit, you know it's a sin, or you've, you've buried the fact that, that it's a sin, you just tried to, tried to excuse it somehow, and you make it a habit and a practice without repentance, there's no forgiveness for that sin then. So he said those who practice lawlessness will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's those who make it a practice. So don't think that you could fall out of salvation because you're struggling with a sin. Do you know it's a sin? Do you recognize it's a sin? Are you crying out to mercy for God? And are you trying to, God, set me free from this thing? That's a, that's a, a prayer we should pray often, like, save me. Save me once again from this. Save me from, from this issue. We put to death the old man, right? All right, so salvation on the side now. That's, we are solid in this foundation, in this, this saving grace, in this blood of the cross, that's what saved us. So we're solid in it. So how do we stay humble as we earn rewards now in the kingdom of heaven? We recognize the, the only reason we're here is because of his grace. So that's one thing. And then I also recognize, as Paul said, don't forget where you came from. That's the one I was just saying. But don't forget where you came from. But the other one is that his grace is actually what empowered me to earn rewards. It's like everything that my kids have in the house is for them. It all belongs to me. I paid for it, but it's for them. And anything good they do with it, right? They, they make you something that you paid for and they give it to you as a gift. And I reward them. This is God with us. He gave us everything we need to advance in the kingdom. He provided all of it. Then we advance with all of his stuff that he owns, the fruit of the spirit, all the things he owns. And then he rewards us for the stuff that he gave us. 
he rewards us for doing a good job with it, but it belongs to him. That's why I cannot boast in any of it. This is why Paul said, I worked harder than all of you, but it's not even me. It's the grace of God in me. This is the only way it's possible. Now, I used to steer away from the subject of rewards and stuff. I saw it there in the Bible, but I, because of my struggles with not understanding the love of God, not understanding my security in his salvation, um, and not understanding, yeah, okay, I can struggle with sins, I can, you know, this and that, and as long as I'm humble and crying out and recognizing them as sins and asking for forgiveness, I didn't recognize those things, and so because of that, like, I steered away from rewards, because to me, lack of rewards or rewards even equaled, like, earning salvation, earning more of God's love. If, if, if Enoch and Ethan, I, I love them both the same. You know, they ask me, am I your favorite? Yeah, you are. And then Ethan, right after that, am I your favorite? Yeah, you are too. Because, and I always tell him, there's only one Ethan, and that's Enoch. So you're my favorite. And then I tell Enoch, there's only one Enoch, so you're my favorite Enoch. There's only one of you. And you're each unique, you're each special, and you each hold a different place in my heart, and I love you equally. Now, as they grow, if, if Enoch was always obedient and always, not just obedient, <clears throat> but seeking to know me more, seeking to hear daddy's heart, seeking, picking my mind, picking my heart, asking questions, just growing in relationship. As I pour into him, he pours into me. Now, if Ethan didn't do that, if he was often rebellious and and made a choice and as I would try to talk to him and open my heart, he rejected it and didn't, didn't open his heart in return. I will love them both equally, but one will grieve me. One, I'll be, you'll feel closer to them, right? In your emotions, in your heart, because you've opened your heart and they've opened theirs. There's nothing wrong with that. This is the way things work in the kingdom of God as well. He perfectly loves us. Now, look, because Enoch has a more, or Ethan has a more rebellious relationship, and it's, this is current, no. <laughs> because he has a more rebellious relationship, we cannot be as close as me and Enoch. But that doesn't mean I throw him out of the house and he's no longer my son, right? So we're at different places in our walk with God. That's why we don't judge our brothers and sisters regarding their salvation. Because he's still my son, Thank you, Daniel. Uh, I want to get into some scripture. I got a decent amount, so this this is one of my favorite ways to teach is just go from scripture to scripture and teach directly out of it. So let's just look at um, rewards. Matthew, we're going to... Oh, well, here's an interesting thing. Well, okay, we'll jump back to it. (laughs) Okay. Somehow I skipped the verse, so I didn't highlight it. So uh, um, Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Be careful that you do not practice your uh, righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. This is Matthew 5. No, Matthew 6, starting in verse 1. 
to be seen by them. If you do, you will receive no reward from your Father in heaven. Right? So this is implying if you do practice righteous deeds, but not to be seen by others, you'll get rewards, right? You'll get rewards from your Father in heaven. But he says if you practice it to be seen by others, you'll receive no reward. So the key word here is to be seen by others. The key words here is to be seen by others. If that's the reason you're practicing them, because what's fascinating is a little bit earlier in um, Matthew 5, uh, verse um, 14 or 15, he says, let your light shine before others that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in one verse, he says, let your light shine before others. Let them see your good deeds and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Then he comes and says, be careful not to practice your deeds in front of others. But then he says, to be seen by them. What is he addressing? He's addressing the motive of the heart. So as we shine, as we are good stewards of his grace and good stewards of of everything he's given us, it should shine before others. They should see it. But he's addressing the motive. Are you doing it to be seen by others? Okay, this was a big issue for me for a long time was my pride that I wanted others to see it. God was gracious and patient with me because he recognized at the same time that I saw it. I was like, God, why do I want to be seen by others? What, I'm, I'm not supposed to be seeking it for that reason. So he saw in me was still this, God, I do want you. I do want you. I do want to please you. And I recognize this area of pride. I recognize this thing where, yes, I want to practice the good deed because I love you. And yes, I want others to see it. <laughs> I, I've got this struggle with both going on. And, and many, many years ago, there was a distinct day where after crying out for years and years and recognizing that pride where I, I felt it break and it was gone in a moment and it has never reared its head again. And that came out of just an intense encounter that I had with God uh, where his presence was very thick and he didn't address the pride or anything. It just the next morning I woke up and it was gone along with some other things and I was just like, whoa, just, just being in God's presence set me free from something I've been crying out for for years. Um, So then he says, when you give to the needy, this is uh, verse 3 now, Matthew 6, verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not give uh, like the hypocrites who love to give in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by others. So again, it's addressing their motive. Is there anything wrong with giving in front of others? If you say, yes, there is, well, don't give any birthday gifts or Christmas gifts or don't hand anybody money because someone might see it. Uh, <laughs> no, that's silly. He's not saying, like, you can't do this in front of anyone. He's saying they're doing it to be honored by others. And then he says, truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. What was their reward? You got seen by others. That's it. That is your reward, that's it. You get no reward from the Father because your motive was, I want others to see me. I want others to recognize my holiness. I want to be honored by others. And then he says, and he's using hyperbole here, but he's just painting a drastic picture for us. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Hide it from yourself. And then he says, But your father, who is unseen, your father who sees in secret, will reward you. So your father who sees it will reward you. 
And he says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to stand in synagogues and on the streets to be seen by others. Now, I, I remember once I was trying to, to pray for someone um, in, in a public place, asking them if I could pray for them. Uh, they were in a down-and-out place. It was a homeless guy. And, um, and so I asked him, and he said, oh, no, we can't pray here in public because, uh, because uh, you know, the Bible said don't, don't pray in synagogues and on streets. So you go, into your, go into your room and close the door, and that's where you pray. I said, well, Jesus prayed in front of people many, many times, so he kind of broke his own role there, right? And he taught all the disciples to pray, and they all prayed in public, right? So I said, let's look at what the verse is actually addressing. Because Jesus did pray publicly many, many times, and all the apostles prayed publicly many, many times, but they didn't do it to be seen by others, to be honored by others. It is an issue of the heart. It's a motive of the heart. Um, so then he says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So again, yes, we should absolutely have the practice of getting alone and praying. But again, when we're praying, I mean, it is my practice. When I'm praying in a group of people, I want to focus and say, God, it is just me and you. This prayer is to you. You guys get to share, take part in hearing my heart. But this prayer is for you, God. And I love praying in group settings because you hear other people's hearts. And we're all at different places. We all have different thoughts. And we all have a different relationship with God. But we're all one body. We are all the children of God. We all have the same Father. So it's a beautiful thing, and it strengthens the body. It's iron sharpens iron. I can't tell you how many times there have been youth that have been like, oh, I, I don't like to pray. And I'm like, please, like, please pray. Please, please pray in front of us. And then so many times I've seen this happen. They'll pray, and it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous prayer. It's beautiful. It's true. It's from the heart, and I'm just, I'm overwhelmed just listening to it. But he clearly tells us, you receive a reward. You receive a reward when you give correctly. You receive a reward when you pray correctly. What's the reward? I don't know. (laughs) Now, we know some of the rewards. We know some of the promises. Uh, You know, uh, rend your hearts, you sinners, and draw near to God, and he will draw near to you in, in James he tells us that, so, and that's a reference to the Old Testament when God spoke that to the people through Moses. But you draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So we have this promise that as we draw near to him in prayer and worship and seeking, as we draw near to him in obedience, he will draw near to us. In, in, in John 14, he says that if you love me, you will keep my commands and my father and I will manif- or my father will manifest his love to you and we'll come and make our home inside of you. That's a reward. That's a reward. And at the same time, he, going into John 4, 15, he starts describing, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he says, there's some dead branches on you. But if you're still mine, I'm going to prune those branches. Right? So we can still have struggles. We can still have issues. And some of the trees of God, some of the oh, trees of God, he's, he's the root. But some of the, the branches of God are going to look prettier with less dead areas. And some are going to have more dead areas. And we're not to judge our brothers and sisters' salvation, but to be patient with them. Right? 
They're part of the body of Christ still. They are part of the branches. And they might have some issues. They might have some struggles. But he prunes us if we're part of him. And if we're bearing fruit. So these are rewards. And I want the reward of him manifesting his love to me and making his home in my heart. Now, all of us are saved. We're in the house of salvation, but there's something deeper he's speaking of in this verse that he he wants to make a home with us. Sin separates us from the love of God. So even when we struggle with sins, there is a bit of separation of his heart, like the child that's rebellious, right? Right? but still in my house, still is my child, still they obey, they don't disobey all the time, still they love, but they're still in my house, but there will be a separation in our relationship, not a complete separation, obviously, but there will be a wall in our relationship in certain areas because of that rebellion and because I open up my heart and he doesn't return it, right? So there is a reward as we obey him and keep his commands that his love is manifested. His love is always pouring out to us. As we tell youth, his love is, it's like it's raining on all of us, right? He said in in, um, Matthew uh, 6, towards the end, uh, verse 24 or so, get get down around there. He says that, um, that be um, like your father in heaven. He he causes his... uh, love to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he, his sun rises on the good and the evil. So his love is pouring out over the whole earth. And I tell the youth, if he's raining out his love on the whole earth, sin is the umbrella that does not allow us to partake of, of his love, of actually feeling, actually touching, actually feeling the substance of the rain. We're just looking at it. There's a barrier That's what sin does. And even for a believer, we can still put up barriers at times and and separate ourselves from the full manifestation of his love. He is constantly pouring it out, right? God so loved the whole world. He gave his only son, right? He loved everyone. He's died for everyone and everyone who puts their faith in him, that transaction is enacted to them. And then he says again, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. And he says, they like to, to uh, they disfigure their faces to look somber. <laughs> this is um, Matthew 6, right after the Lord's Prayer. I don't know, verse 15? 16. 16. I was close. Uh, <laughs> so he says, they disfigure their faces. And then he says, but when you fast... Wash your face, put oil on your head so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting. Don't make it obvious to others that you're fasting. Now, listen, every time I've fasted for an extended time, anybody who knows me knows I'm fasting because they're like, what's wrong? You're skinny as can be or you're like something. So he's, and again, he says, do your good deeds before others so that they'll glorify your father in heaven. Now, I've had times where that, thing rears its head and oh I want to be seen by others and then but then I have this this is the good motive where I say I want others to know that I have a lifestyle of fasting because I want to encourage them to fast to bring glory to our father in heaven I want to encourage them that they can do it I want to encourage them that it's a command of the bible that this is what we're supposed to do we're supposed to have a lifestyle of fasting and praying and so I want glory to go to the father in heaven by inspiring more people fast 
Fast and pray. Put to death the flesh. I, I, two things always happen to me when I fast. Well, there's many other things that the Lord's taught me, but, but two things I notice right away. I, I'll get mad at people eating food without looking like they enjoy it. I'm just like, you know how delicious that food is and how, how much complaining there is in the U.S. about food or a meal that was cooked wrong or I didn't care for this or that at that restaurant. It's like, are you kidding me? We have such an abundance such an abundance. And, uh, you know, I'd give my leg to eat that little French fry. Uh, <laughs> but we have such an abundance. And then the, the other thing that always strikes me is food takes up, like, hours of our day. Hours and hours of our day. This is why the, the youth asked me the other day, what other kind of fasts are there? I said, technically, the only biblical fast you can find is fasting from Food, completely, only drink water, or fasting from food and water. Those are the only biblical fasts that there are. Now, we've come up with a bunch of other fasts, and I'm not discouraging them. They're fine. It's great. Anything, right? Jesus said anything that's causing you to sin, you know, your eyes causing you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So that's, to me, that's those other fasts we've created. We recognize something, this thing takes up a lot of my time. It pulls me away from my relationship with God. I'm going to cut it off for a season, right? That, that's fine, so I'm not discouraging that. But technically, the only biblical fast that are listed, you know, people say the Daniel fast, that, that wasn't a Daniel fast. He wasn't fasting. That was simply the way he chose to eat. That's it. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't a fast. <clears throat> It's fine. I won't judge you if you say Daniel fast. That's fine. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, where was I before that? Oh, f- fasting. But he says, then your father, who is unseen, will see what you've done in secret, and he will reward you. So there is a reward for fasting, right? We know what one of the rewards are in a comical verse where uh, the, the disciples are trying to cast out a demon from somebody, and then Jesus shows up on the scene, and they're like, I, try, I talked to your disciples, they couldn't do it. And he's like, you wicked generation, how long am I going to put up with you, your, your lack of faith and all this thing? He casts it out, and then the disciples ask him later, why couldn't we cast it out? And he's like, because of your little faith. Oh, by the way, this one only comes out through fasting. And he never asked his disciples to fast. In fact, the Pharisees addressed it one time and said, how come your disciples don't fast, but John's disciples fast? And he said, because they're with the bridegroom. Once I leave, they can fast. So I love it that he's like, you have little faith. And then he's like, by the way, it only comes out through fasting. I know I've never asked you to do that yet, so uh, (laughs) I just love it. It's a little comical. Um. I know, I'm so cute. What, what time am I supposed to end? 11.45, is that right? 11.30? Let me very quickly go to the, the biggest verse that I wanted to look at. This is uh, Corinthians 3.8, but this, this is all over the place in the Bible. This, this rewards, right? We have the parable of the, the faithful uh, with his money, and he comes back, he gives them more rewards, Right? If you've been faithful with a little bit, I'll, I'll give you more. So a lot of the times the reward is more responsibility in his kingdom. This makes sense as a father to his children as well, right? You can give your kids more responsibility when you know they will carry out your word. 
correct? If you know they're not going to carry out your word, they're going to feel, oh man, dad lets him do that and, and he doesn't let me do that. And that's because you haven't earned that trust. You don't keep your word when he asks you to do something, right? So it's, this, this is a concept that he's given right built into our family life, okay? And it's an easy concept to understand. You can still love both of them equally. So we have all these things, but 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8 The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. This is talking about people in the family of Jesus. This is talking about people in the family of God. They will be rewarded accordingly, according to their deeds. For we are co-workers in God's service, You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. So we're all the body, we're all taking our part in building this church. I mean the church of God, you know, spiritually speaking. We all have a part to play. We all, the the one who lays, you know, the, the woodwork that's underneath and then the one who lays it, the one who lays it and puts the pictures up shouldn't get more honor and reward because their stuff is just seen. Some of it's unseen, right? And, and that's okay. We each had our part to play and we'll be rewarded according to our deeds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, so what is the foundation? Jesus Christ, him crucified. That's salvation. That's the foundation. But we're building on that foundation. Look at what he says. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, those are the, those are the good motives. It all comes back to our motives. Why am I building these things? And then the other ones are wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. So this is talking about when we stand before, we we as believers will stand before a judgment seat in heaven and be rewarded according to our deeds or, or likewise they'll be burned up. But look at what he says. This is definitely talking about believers. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So the quality, the work is the work. It was done. It, it all may have brought glory to God on earth, but look what happens to it in heaven. If what has been built survives, so it's just it's tested with fire, right? The costly stones, the gold, the silver, that's all going to be fine. But the things that were done with the wrong motives, it says if the things, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. What is the loss? I don't know. But then he says, but yet will be saved. This is talking about believers and our rewards and the reasons we do things. The actual motive. This is why I'm always asking God, change my heart, change my motives. I don't want to just do good things. I want them to be done for the right reason. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. So he's saying, you're still saved. The foundation wasn't broken of salvation, but you did a lot of these works for the wrong reasons, and they're being burned up. And I think some will be burned up, some will, some will remain. Uh, so let's pray. Um, I'm sorry, Kevin, that I went long like that. Okay. Um, Lord, we just thank you that you are a God of justice and that you're fair. And we thank you that we're as close to you as we want to be. 
May we fix our eyes. May we run the race like we're trying to win a prize, as Paul said. There's nothing wrong with these things. And God, we just ask that our foundation of salvation would be solid in our hearts. And in the midst of your grace, we would seek rewards. You said lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You said to do that. That's, that's seeking rewards in heaven. And God, we ask that we would do that for the right reasons. And Lord, in the midst of this trial, a trial for many people that, that know dad and are close to him and, and so many others that have been sick through the years, God, may we stand the test. Not that it was given by you. The world gives the test. It's just a rotten world. But um, Lord, I just ask that the fruit of the Spirit would come up all the more in the midst of pain. The fruit of the Spirit would come up all the more and we would seek you for the right reasons. And God, mostly in this, I just ask that you change people's hearts. We cannot do this on our own. It is only by the grace of God that we can walk out and have the right motives. We can't change our motives, God. So we humble ourselves and say, you change our motives. We'll still walk it out, but you must work with us and change our motives because we can't do it, God. So have mercy on us, have grace on us, and help our actual hearts to be transformed and to yearn to do things for all the right reasons. We love you because you first loved us. Amen.